A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. At that time, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was hungry. But the tempter approached and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become loaves of bread. He said in reply, It is written, One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and made him stand on the parapet of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and with their hands they will support you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their magnificence. And he said to him, All these I shall give you if you will prostrate yourself and worship me. At this Jesus said to him, Get away, Satan. It is written, The Lord your God shall you worship, and him alone shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The Gospel of the Lord. We have a remarkable conjunction of events and themes in our readings today. Remarkable in no small measure due to the contrast that one sees within them. On the one hand, there is that great contrast that St. Paul points out between the original Adam, who fell in the garden, and the new Adam, Jesus Christ. The one who, by means of disobedience, brought condemnation upon the world, and the other who, through his obedience on behalf of everyone, brings salvation into the world. But there's a deeper, more profound contrast than that in terms of the settings of our readings. Our first reading, in no small measure, answers the question of just how did it get this bad? And note how it begins. It begins with Adam being created by the very hand of God, receiving life by the very breath of God, and then the Lord creating a garden of blessing, a garden of abundance, a paradise, a place of unambiguous goodness, in which he places the man he has made. And leave it to us to mess that up. But if anything was set up for success, we would think it was Adam. 
created directly by God, settled in a place filled with blessing and nothing else, given abundance, all that he could want, he could stretch out his hand to. It was right there. And the remarkable thing, one of the most remarkable things about the fall of man is that we fell in paradise. We fell in abundance. We fell surrounded by blessing. And don't we fantasize that if I just had blessing around me all the time, everything would be better? Be careful. So on the one hand, there is the ease of the garden. There is no struggle. There is no difficulty. And yet somehow it falls out of our grasp. And then there's our gospel reading, which is the opposite. It's a desert. A place where if you are not careful, you die. It is a place of lack, a place of hardship, a place of need, a place of danger. And it is in this place that we see the new Adam, Jesus. And obedience asserts itself in the place of difficulty, the place of pain, the place of need, the place of hardship. What a remarkable contrast. We would think if anybody's going to fail, it's going to be the one in the desert where there's nothing to sustain him. And yet we see mysteriously and wondrously that that is not the case. We would think if anyone would succeed, it would be the one surrounded by blessing and abundance. And yet we see that that is not the case. And note how then in our first reading we have the issue of food. There's a tree with fruit, and our fall from grace involved a taking and an eating. And then in our gospel reading, we have a lack of food. The Lord goes into the desert to be tempted, and how does he get ready? He doesn't eat for 40 days. St. Matthew even goes out of his way to point out that Jesus was hungry. And we want to sit there and say, well, duh, if you haven't eaten for 40 days, you would be pretty hungry. And so now let's just start with that simple detail this issue of food, this issue of taking and eating, because there's an awful lot that turns on that simple detail. He had nothing to eat for 40 days, and he was hungry. And Satan shows up at the moment of hunger. The hunger is sharp. The hunger is deep. The hunger is long-standing. And Satan shows up at that moment to address hunger. But he does it in an odd way. Because he's not interested in Jesus' hunger for food. If Satan was interested in getting Jesus to eat, he'd have shown up with a pizza. 
He would have said, Lord, you're hungry. Let me take care of you. He would have had the picnic basket. He'd have had the sandwiches. Note that he doesn't do that because the issue is not you're hungry and I want to stop your fasting. The issue is a different kind of a hunger. That hunger that Satan put in Adam's heart in the Garden of Eden, that's what he's after. Because Adam, didn't, Adam and Eve didn't take the fruit from the tree because they needed lunch. Note how careful the scriptures are. They looked at it, and scripture doesn't say, and they happened to be hungry, and the tree was right there. All right? This is not about having an unauthorized snack. This is a deeper issue than it's Friday and I mistakenly ate meat. This is a different issue than I'm having a hard time with my diet. Because we have our physical appetites. We have our physical hungers. But we also have hungers and appetites that are not so physical, not reducible to food. We have our need, our hunger for affection. We have our desire for status. We have that hunger to make the insecurities go away and the voices of my nagging doubts just stop. We hunger for a lot. And hunger is that word that we often use when our desires are deep, powerful things. It's not just that I want it, I'm hungry for it, with the implication being that there's a certain starvation going on inside of me. I'm lacking something. I'm missing something, and I need that hole inside of me to be filled. In the place of abundance, the serpent opens a hole in Adam's life. There's something you don't have. There's something you're not. Amazingly, in the place of abundance, what does Satan say? You know, there's more. What a remarkable moment this is. They are surrounded by all of the blessings that God has made, and what does Satan say? You know, it's really not enough. There's more. You could have more. Oh, and the heart of man, when it hears, I can have more. It doesn't even matter what the more is. I want it. It doesn't even matter whether I think I need it or not. If it's available and it might be free, I'm taking it. And so note, there's more. But what could be more? than man filled with and surrounded by blessing in the perfection of his creation. There's only one thing, God. The simple fact of the matter is man is man and God is God. And Satan says, ah, oh, but you could change that. You could be like God. You could be God in a sense. It's the same aggressiveness that got him cast out of heaven. Surrounded because Satan fell in paradise too. 
Satan fell from heaven. And note, he puts the same movement in man's heart. Oh, you could be more. And it's as easy as stretching out your hand and taking and eating. Feed your desire. Feed your hunger. Feed your insecurity. Take and eat, even though it's not yours. And so the first act of theft happens. The aggressive snatching of the fruit from the tree. Because it's appealing to the eye, and it's appealing to the eye of the heart that I could be more. And in trying to reach out for who God is, Man falls. Now we come back to Jesus in the desert and his hunger. And Satan shows up, but he doesn't have the pizza. He doesn't have the picnic basket. Because this is not about lunch, just like the Garden of Eden was never about that. Note what he says to Jesus. If you are the Son of God, note the issue. The issue is who is Jesus and what does it mean to be the Son of God? What does it mean to live as the Son of God? That's the issue. And so note, if you're the Son of God, you don't have to be hungry. Eating is not the point. Self-assertion is going to be the point. If you are the Son of God to satisfy yourself, to please yourself, you could just wave your hand and these stones would be bread. You could do that. So why don't you? Because that's what the Son of God should do, because he can. Note the temptation to self-assertion. Note the temptation to self-fulfillment. And again, it's not that Satan is laying out the cold cuts and the bread and saying, make yourself a sandwich. He is saying, use divine power to satisfy yourself, to please yourself. Change the way the world works because you're hungry. Note what he's asking. Work a miracle for lunch because the Son of God could do that for himself. And so now there's the temptation to a reckless and selfish assertion of divine power simply to please himself. And that's why Jesus turns to Satan and says, bread's not the point. Obedience to God, that's the point. That's, I'm hungry in my belly because I have a deeper hunger for the will of my Father. The real Son of God doesn't come to please himself. Note how important this is. Note how important this is. Because at the end of his life, what is Jesus going to do? He's going to say over bread, take and eat, this is my body. Because the Lord didn't come to take bread from the world. He has come to be bread for the world. 
And Jesus having rejected him, we find now that Satan takes him somewhere. And let's be clear about this. Temptation does take us places. We may not physically move, but if you've ever been really tempted, you know your mind and your heart go somewhere. It flies toward that thing that's attracting us. And so Satan takes him somewhere. And literally, Satan takes him to the holy city. Because all too often, the wicked one takes us to the good places so that we misuse them. And so he takes him there. And now note the temptation. If you are the Son of God, well, that word that you're hungry for made a promise. His angels will support you. You'll never be hurt. Wouldn't you like to know that's true? How often in your life have you been so insecure in a relationship that you needed the person you were with to show that they loved you repeatedly? Note how that happens. We set up situations where somebody has to prove he or she cares for me. This deep insecurity in the heart I can't trust. I want to step out, but what if I get it wrong? Wouldn't you like to know? We're here at the temple. It's the holy place. Your father's always watching the temple. Take a step. Let the angels come, and you will know. And what will he really know? On the one hand, he'll know that his father rescues him, and on the other hand, he knows he doesn't trust his father. Real trust doesn't demand signs at every moment of insecurity. Real trust learns to say, I trust the person. And even if I don't see the sign right now, I know he's there. I know he's with me. And if Jesus can't trust here, how is he going to trust enough to throw himself down into the grave, knowing that his father will raise him up? Again, note, does the Son of God live by insecurity, or does he live with the, with the confident trust that is faith? How do you live? Are you the Son of God? And so finally, the tempt and note how relentless Satan is. He's looking for an opening wherever there might be one. There's no element of our life that's off limits on some levels to him. He always looks for an opening. And note Jesus is willing to receive all of these attacks, all of these movements, so that he can show us that he will defend all of our lives. And so now we go to a place of abundance. Satan takes him to the mountain, and he shows him the wealth of all the nations of the world. All of the kingdoms of the world in their splendor and their history and their culture and their different languages. The overwhelming number of people, the great majority of whom have no idea who he is. And Satan essentially says, you've come to save all these guys? Good luck. 
They don't even know you. They don't even care that you're here. Look at this broad world where everyone's going about their business and not thinking about you. And you're coming for them. I can give them to you because they're mine. That is an absolutely chilling statement. And there's a certain truth about it. Because he's compromised the hearts of all of us. There's an element where all of our hearts are under his power. And the Lord has come to snatch us out of that. But again, note, note now, they're going to reject you. It's too many for you to ever meet or know. It's overwhelming. But there is an easy way. You don't got to suffer. You don't got to die. You don't have to spill your blood on a cross for a world that's not going to care about you. All you got to do, look, Jesus, no one else is here. It's you and it's me. All you got to do, just once, just once, it won't take more than a couple seconds. Get down on your knees and give me my due. And this will all be yours. And the implication is, and you'll be mine. Think of the easy compromises we make every day, every one of us, where we find a reason to lay goodness aside, to lay our faith aside, to diminish our standards for the sake of a convenience, for the sake of not ruffling feathers, for the sake of whatever it is. This temptation to the easy way, this temptation away from sacrifice, this temptation away from hardship, this temptation to make our peace with what is wrong. It's right here. What a remarkable moment this is. And the Lord rejects him here now, too. I will serve the Lord and him alone. I haven't come to serve myself. I haven't come to serve the world. And I have not come to serve you. The Father that I trust is the one and the only one that I serve. And everything I do comes out of that, and that is what it is to be the Son of God. Notice how at the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus begins in the desert, defeating all of the ways our relationship with God can be compromised so that he can go forward and show us the true, unambiguously clear face of what it is to be the Son of God. So in the end, the answer to Satan's temptations is, I am, in fact, the Son of God. And this is how the Son of God lives, and not some other way. What a beautiful statement that is. And so important for us because on the day of our baptism, as we rise up out of those waters, we rise up as members of the body of Christ. And in the anointing with the sacred chrism that immediately follows baptism, we are named sons and daughters of God. That is who we are. That is who we are. And how powerful it is then that we have this great example of Jesus 
who in the place of lack, the place of need, the place of hardship, the place where we do in fact live, shows us we are not alone. And wickedness and insecurity and all of those things that diminish our dignity, they indeed can be overcome, not by our strength, but by his. His victory over Satan, his obedience to his father becomes the strength that makes ours possible, and what a great strength that is. And in just a few minutes, imagine how, think how wonderful this is. In the garden, what did we hear? Adam and Eve took and ate and fell into death. Satan comes to Jesus in the desert and says to him, make bread for yourself and eat. And here, on this altar, Jesus will make himself bread once again for us. And what does he say to us when he's here? Take and eat. Not the false fruit of mere ambition. Not the deadly fruit that robs you of life. Not the bread of insecurity not the apple of lack of trust, not the pomegranate of self-assertion, but come forward, stretch out your hand to me. Take me. Let me be your bread. Because I am that great word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Feed on me, and you will feast on blessing greater than Adam ever had. What a wonderful moment, here in the place of lack, the desert of the world. A blessing greater than Eden will be with us here on this altar. And how freely he gives it. You come to me, and you take and eat, and you go forward in this strength. What a marvelous mystery we celebrate as we stand here in the very beginning of Lent. This same Lord now who will sustain us for these next several weeks. Amen.